Pagliacci, Pagliacci, Tragic Clown, Pagliacci. What did you say? What, are you a cop? No, I'm a clown. You look familiar. You ever been to the circus? Oh, when I was a kid. Did you like it? Uh, well, you know, it was fun. I was kind of scared of the clowns. Are you still scared of clowns? Yeah. Lifers Podcast with Scott Lucas, Gabe Rodriguez, and Ben Reiser. And now, here's Scott, Gabe, and Ben. Uh, sorry, I'm late, guys. I, uh, I sat through uh, the movie produced by our guest tonight, Terrifier Two. I went to go see it in a the theater. Ben, you didn't. You didn't go see this in a theater, did you? I did not, because uh, I can't stand going to the movies these days. <laughs> I have a terrible time every time I go into a commercial movie theater. But otherwise, well, I might have. this was a different crowd. This was. I didn't think people wore raincoats anymore. <laughs> uh, the floors were very slick. This was not in the Dolby Theater over at the AMC? Um, the subwoofers under every seat? No. Thank God. No, no, it was not. No, it was it was in the one at the very end of the hall. So you go in there, you're just like, oh. So yeah, I saw Terrifier in a theater. And I... I want to talk to Steve about it. Short uh, and sweet. It's only three or four hours long. I think. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. And it's not extreme at all. You know, no. it's it's not super violent and super bloody. And uh, I mean, one of the kills, the best one, uh, it's an hour long. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that one in the bedroom. Yeah. Like at about the half hour point he breaks her arm and then uh three hours later he stuffs it back in her mouth gabe i'm surprised you haven't watched this thing yet no i can't make it through anything like this but i'm fascinated by the story about how this movie is kind of the cinderella story or whatever you want to say what what, what's what's going on Cinderella story all right why don't you tell everybody before we get too far into this who our guest is today on the lifers podcast gabe take it away we haven't done this in a while our guest is steve barton now i believe he's the executive producer of terrifier 2 is that correct look wow do you know what an executive producer is gabe 
No, but they do know what they are and what they do. I don't even know what an executive <laughs> producer do. does. <laughs> I have to say, even I, I get confused about producers and executive producers on, on films. There's so many of them on every film, and it's like, how do you divide up the duties? Is it just, is everyone just throwing in money and that's how you get the credit? Or, But I think Steve is a hands-on I always, guy. I think the ex- he seems hands-on, but I think the executive producer is the 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 guy who's the executive at the studio, who who uh, has been charged with shepherding the the project. So mm-hmm. I think he's the executive producer. Um, right, but I don't think this movie actually right? had much of a studio. I think this was crowdfunded. Or yeah, something. I don't know. I don't get it. We'll have to ask him about that. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, Gabe, this is right up your alley. This this is your kind of movie, man. No, I wish I I wish I could say that I'm gonna watch it and get to know the characters in the movie. I, I can't even touch this one. I can't even look at the the freaking poster. <laughs> but I want to hear about it. I want to hear from other people what it's about. I I don't want to watch it myself. Well, and the <laughs> as I'm sure we'll talk about with Steve, the exciting thing is this movie costs I think about two hundred fifty thousand dollars to make, and it's already brought in ten million over ten million dollars at the box office. And I don't even think they were planning on putting it in theaters for more than a day or two. No. No. But then it was everywhere. It, you know, it was next to Tar at every theater I went to. <laughs> Is that just the way it's going nowadays with, with social media? People are just saying how great the movie was or how it scared the hell out of them and everybody has to see it? Is that what's happening? No, I, I think that uh, people don't know what to do or how to get asses into the theaters right now. And I think one of the ways maybe to do that is a movie like this that, you know, you're not going to be able to see anything like it any, anywhere unless you go to see it, the movie, you know. It's not playing on Peacock. It reminds me very much, not not the movie itself, but I mean the vibe reminds me of when I was a kid and Dawn of the Dead came out. Was that 1979? Mm-hmm. So I was like 13, 12 or 13, and it was rated X, I believe. Uh, right. Rated X for violence. And that immediately, right. I was like, I need to see this. Then I yes. found out it was like over two hours long, and I'm like, right. that this sounds like the greatest fucking thing of all time. And I think there were even reviews, like pull quotes in the ads for Dawn of the Dead that said, like, the gone with the wind of horror movies. And, and I was like, this... This sounds like a dream come true. And of course, this was one of the few films that my parents said, you are not going to see this movie. And I remember going to an early version of a multiplex, a local multiplex, which had like four screens. And I remember going to see something else and then standing outside the auditorium that was playing Dawn of the Dead and listening to the movie. Like I still was, I didn't have the guts to like walk in. My parents told me not to. And I was like, okay, I'll just... uh, but just hearing Dawn of the Dead and thinking, oh, my God, this sounds like the greatest movie of all time. Like, you could hear yeah. machine guns and people screaming. You could almost hear the blood flowing. Yeah. Um, and this gives this gives off that vibe, like this sort of, you know, what I'm reading when I see people talk online about this. I can see if I was a 12 or 13-year-old kid, I'd be like, I need to see me some Terrifier too. Yeah, that's why I wanted to go see it in a theater. And, and you're right. It's all... It's, stems from dawn of the dead for me too because you know i would just stare at that thing it's like no one under 18 admitted oh my god what's in this movie you know and i'd have nightmares about it 
I'd never seen it. I wasn't so much scared of it as excited by it. Like, I'm like, uh, this sounds like a dream come true. Oh, I was excited. But the things that I imagined were going yeah. on oh, sure. were off the charts crazy. Yeah. Maybe not as off the charts crazy as the three-hour kill in the middle of Terrifier 2. <laughs> yeah. And what they do with possums. I, I kept trying to figure out what's making people throw up. And I think it might have something to do with dead animals. I don't know. We'll ask Steve. Speaking of dead animals, it's uh, voting night here in uh, the dead animal of America. Uh, yeah, but by the time this airs, everybody will know who won what. Maybe. I didn't even know that. Maybe. I'm, I'm not even looking. Marco Rubio we, won? By the oh, time this fuck. airs, we we might not even know uh, if Dr. Oz has lost yet or not. <laughs> but I, I i went and i went to vote today before i went to see terrifier and uh and and it was the biggest turnout i can remember for a midterm so that was oh, kind of good. exciting yeah but i mean it's chicago i don't i don't know what that says for the rest of the country but there were a lot of people out there people seemed to actually give a fuck there was a lot of people when i went to vote in florida down the street that's a bad sign that's a bad sign yeah well they all voted for desantis i don't know florida's a strange block of people but mm -hmm. whatever you know vote go vote go vote but you know it'd be nice if people weren't voting for crazy people i mean crazy people are going to vote for crazy people there's nothing you can do to change their mind there's nothing you can do to change anybody's mind these days right but you're in. Scott, you're traveling the country all the time on tour. And Gabe, you've traveled the country back and forth about 50 times since I met you <laughs> like two years ago. Uh, do you do you find that many crazy people in your travels? No. Well, we spent like almost a week at, at the tour that we just ended in Wisconsin. Watch zigging and zagging back and forth Careful through Wisconsin. Now. Easy does it. Because we stopped in this BP... And it said BP. First of all, we never stop at BPs. I, I hate BP. Um, mm -hmm. the BP oil. Uh, British but Petroleum. I, yes, I really had to piss. So stop in this place, and it was just MAGA country, freaking crazy store. It was just like Trump 2024, life-size Trump ads where he's pointing at you with that dumbass smile on his face and you know like all lives matter including unborn lives and at the center of all this madness was uh this this huge fucking gun show like this wasn't really a gas station it was like it was like a, a an armory and like we'll pay cash <laughs> for your guns and i just kind of like i just have to piss i thought about shitting on the floor but uh, you know I, I didn't do that <laughs> but yeah man it can get pretty fucking weird out there and you see that some of these people have really really drunk the kool-aid and 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 gladly willingly lovingly chugging that shit down i don't know we'll, we'll see what happens right we don't know what's happening there's no point in talking about this but uh maybe it's not gonna be bad maybe, but you know I don't know. I just, I don't know. 
You know, it'd be nice if everyone could just stop being assholes. Can we just do that? Because we can't even get that. You know, I just, I just wish people would get off the fucking internet and stop leaving shitty Yelp reviews and stop <laughs> trying to troll my ass on Twitter because it's not going to work out well for you. Oh, yeah. And stop talking at concerts, you Stop talking assholes. at my fucking concerts. You were there, you Ben. Make- you saw the whole thing. I did see the whole thing unfold. And I was it- loved I loved the way you shut it down right away. And, what are you gonna say? Uh, but people they but I I was I was standing around people who were talking while you were were while you were saying please stop talking during this quiet acoustic part of the set, they weren't hearing you because they were so busy talking while you right. were talking. You know, we've been starting off the sets with you know, a few acoustic songs. And this particular evening that Ben was at in La Crosse, Wisconsin, we decided to, we decided to start off with uh, a quiet acoustic version of Strychnine. Now, I kind of knew this was a bad idea, but we did it anyway. And uh, it was just, there was these group of people right in front of me. And I, again, I don't understand. Right in front of me, why? Why? They were talking louder than the music was, and they were talking excitedly about something like <laughs> like it like it was like he was E.F. Hutton or something. And it was just talking about their taxes or whatever. And I, I, I could barely finish the song. And then I was like, hey, guys, there's only there's we're going to be playing some more acoustic songs. It's going to be like this for a while why don't you guys go in the next room to the bar and then you can continue conversation and then the music's going to get louder and come back in and talk and no one will have to listen to it. And it was a reasonable thing to say. Totally reasonable. And they looked at me slack jawed. Like the look on their face was almost like he can see us. Like (laughs) this isn't on TV. This is actually happening. They didn't say a word. They just went and they were just, flabbergasted that anyone would say shut up stop talking that anyone would say hey you're being rude how dare he call us out he isn't he supposed to be on stage singing he can't see us can he i thought we were invisible and then so finally i said yeah i'm I'm talking to you you right there and i'm pointing (laughs) to him i'm like you you're who i'm talking to now fuck off but you did. You said something, and I I know there were eighty five to ninety percent of us who appreciated you saying this, which is it's not so much about how it affects you on stage. It's the fact that there's ninety percent of the paying customers are there to see you play and know that if we're talking while you're playing, we're not listening to you. And right. but those fifteen, ten to fifteen percent of the people who just think like yeah you're supposed to talk while the fucking music's going on they don't realize that there's somehow they can't either they can't grasp that they're ruining it for the 90 percent of people who want to listen to the music or they just don't care they don't care that's and that's another thing where they're both bad but that's the worst part of it it's like they don't give a fuck they're like i don't care i paid my 20 bucks fuck everyone else right yep so then the best part was one of these people one of these mental defectives uh takes to Twitter to try to take me down. I don't know if you saw this, 
But she goes, uh, uh, imagine being scolded by the singer of a washed up 90s band during a concert that you paid to see. Pathetic. Uh, I was like, all right, you want to play this game? I can play this game. Two days later, she had deleted the <laughs> deleted everything. Like, just the pylon was crazy. Everyone's like, you fucking idiot. Deleted everything. Blocked or me. maybe she was just protesting that Elon Musk took over Twitter and she just left Twitter. Maybe that's what happened. Uh, you know, she seems like that kind of a person. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, Elon Musk really thinks we can't do without Twitter, doesn't he? He has really underestimated the situation, hasn't he? <laughs> For somebody who's supposed to be so smart, he's not too smart. I mean, have you seen the clothes that he wears? Smart people don't dress like that. Have you seen what he names his kids? What does he name his kids? Kanye? Well, no, like like symbols and uh, like nonsense, like Mr. McSitzelplex, like <laughs> like Superman. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, fuck him. Like, listen, I don't, I, I, I'm angry that I even know who he is. I didn't yeah. sign up for his newsletter. I, I, why do I have to know who this guy is? Gabe, talk me down, man. Give me some good news. Uh, I don't know if I have any good news. I, I, I feel like Twitter is more like high school. Mm. Like you're, you're, trying to get the most signatures on your book by mm. getting the most likes on your page or whatever just you know most social media is like that anyway it's just dumb but i think yeah good but we all do it and it's the way of life nowadays and if you get off it you're you feel like you're missing out on stuff so what what, what the hell you know uh, i mean if you're if you're a fan of twitter i mean this this dipshit doesn't understand that for you know musicians it is at best a necessary evil and at worst the worst part of our day to have to go onto twitter and do anything on there so if he thinks i'm paying eight cents <laughs> much less eight anything he can fuck right off is local h a verified twitter account i don't even know i have no idea I know we don't have. A, has he has he taken the blue check marks away yet? No. Okay. I don't think we've ever verified that because I I don't give a shit. <laughs> I never like said who do I talk to to get verified. God damn it. Well, that's the thing. I don't think that you can talk to anyone. I thought it was always sort of like it just magically appears, like they sort of verify you without you even talking to them about it. Like, I don't know used if it be. was you had to have a certain amount of followers. Oh, or maybe. What. I don't maybe. know. I have no idea. Yeah. I don't know. There is some good news. I heard that Local H is doing three shows in my neck of the woods at the end of the year. Ah! You are correct, sir. We're playing New Year's Eve at the Bottom Lounge, and then we're doing the 30th and the 29th at Shank Hall. Tickets on sale now. Whose idea was the concept? Who who, who got the winning uh, idea? Come on, buddy. <laughs> I'll tell you one person who's very happy about this concept is uh, Justine. Why she's so? well, she's a big Dumb and Dumber fan and a huge Jim Carrey fan. She, she can't wait. She can't wait to put the bowl on your head and and do the haircut. That's right. 
Does she still follow Jim Carrey's every move? Is she into the modern day Jim Carrey and his paintings and his? She bought his fucking book. Oh yeah. No. So, but not it's the not the only just, one that I know that bought that book. But no, no, I don't she bought that book. I didn't even know he had a book. But I don't know how to feel about it. Oh yeah, so it's sort of like if Jim Carrey wrote a Charlie Kaufman novel. So he wrote a book about a guy named Jim Carrey, but it's not really him. You see where this is going, Ben? It's like the new Weird Al movie, actually. Oh, is it? What, what, what's that streaming on? Uh, Apple TV, I believe. Huh? No, 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 uh, I'm sorry. Roku, the Roku channel, which I didn't even know was a thing. Oh, I'm watching the Roku channel right now, and they're saying Fetterman is ahead of Oz. Oh, see, as long as this happens, I'm cool. As long as fucking Oz. Thanks, Oprah. She came in a little late. The thing about election night, I love election night. It's like it's like the Grammys for you. Election night for me. I, I can stay up all night watching this crap. The Grammys? Excuse me. Not the Grammys. Sorry, the Oscars. The Oscars. Okay. You, you know, you, you you enjoy the Oscars. It's show. like the it's like the Oscars for me, yes. and the Tonys for Ben. <laughs> <laughs> but you don't want to get too excited early. You got to wait, and you got to get the the nitty gritty, deep down data. Is this on. like the Oscars or is this like sex? No, it's 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 nothing like either. I'm just saying, don't get your hopes up until it's over, until they call I, it. I know nothing is over until it's over, but I'm just saying these numbers against Oz are are very encouraging. Uh, do you like that guy, do you guys like that? comedian sebastian maniscalco i don't know how to say his last name he's from the chicago area no he's not is he yes i thought he was like east coast no it seems like chicago east coast humor suburbs. to me no it's chicago suburbs the guy who was in uh irishman yeah no i don't like him the guy who's like duh, 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 like he's like i like his like physicality metros- metrosexual uh Andrew Dice Clay. I went to Chipotle a couple weeks ago. Love Chipotle. They make a really nice burrito over there. It's so terrific. The, the, the employees can't stop eating it. The employees are never working. They're always in the dining room eating. Ever walk in there, you're like, where are the workers? The only guy behind there is the guy cutting chicken, just looking at you. Right? He's not trained on burrito building. (laughs) And I'm watching the people order. I mean, there's a sneeze glass there, right? But people always hook the arm over the glass. I'll have corn. I'll have more corn. Just say corn. (laughs) It's not soundproof. It goes right over the glass. Get your claw out of the salsa. Doesn't he have a catchphrase? I don't think so, no. Yeah, he does. He has something like... 
he does not have to. You're doing a good he, dice clay, though. He does. He's like, he's like, come on, get the right. No. Or he doesn't have just one of those. He has you a lot of guy. Something like that. You know what I mean, Gabe? I don't know who. He does me. Oh, you don't know who Sebastian Maniscalco is? No, I didn't know him before he sang with Skid Row or after. Nice. Oh, shit. Hey, everybody. It's Steve Barton. <laughs> hey, how are you guys? How are you doing, Steve? Doing well, man. It's been a kind of a crazy month. Uh, not much going on, you know. Uh, <laughs> some weird shit going on that nobody saw coming. And uh, yeah, man, thanks for having me. You're talking about the election, right? Totally. Okay. 110%, you know, it's always fucked up when election time comes and, you know. Well, this is election night, so thanks for joining us on our election special. Honestly, I wouldn't have missed it. Are we live, Ben? We're not live, are we? No, do you want to go live? No, I don't want to go live. <laughs> but it's true. Like, at first I thought, oh, no, we're missing Halloween with Steve Barton. It's going to be post-Halloween. But then I realized, no, you're right. This is the scariest night of the year. It yeah, is, seriously. It is. <laughs> but it, we definitely should have gotten to Steve before Halloween, because this movie, uh, it's doing well, right? It's doing insanely well. You know what's really funny? It was one of those things that they put Terrifier into theaters, and it was to be like a niche thing, you know, for like a, mm -hmm. like Thursday, Friday, Saturday, October 4th, to I think it was right. the 7th. And then something really friggin' strange happened. People started showing up at the theater. <laughs> we didn't see that coming at all. I mean, we knew like fans of the first one were gonna show up, but then it started happening on mass and on Monday morning, uh, when the numbers came back and we had done 1.2 million from Thursday to Sunday, which doesn't sound like a whole lot of money to people not really acquainted with how, you know, the film industry, but. Right for a little movie like ours with a $250,000 budget, it's huge. Yeah, and the first one wasn't uh, released theatrically, was it? Uh, it played a couple small screenings around the tri-state area and a few other places, but it was never wide. And we didn't think this was going to go wide, certainly, either. You know, it's really funny when um, when Cinedime, the distributor, came to us when we were working at the deal, they're like, yeah, we want to put this in theaters. And I'm like, you want to put this movie in theaters? <laughs> really? <laughs> this one? Okay. Right. You know, sure. <laughs> yeah, you gave us those uh, those viewing links. Thank you for that. But I decided I wanted I wanted to see it in a theater. You know, like, like when late 80s, early 90s, when they were showing NC-17 movies, mm -hmm. and they're trying to make that happen. You know, stuff like Ken Russell's horror and, you know, even the comedy ones like the Andrew Dice Clay thing. Yeah, Going to yeah. those movies felt dangerous and scuzzy, you know, and he, like we weren't going to see I wasn't going to see porn. But th there was something about this experience, you know, maybe it's the stories that I heard about people throwing up or I knew it was going to be extremely violent. But but there was that feeling of of going into an NC-17 movie, which you don't get to do much anymore. No. No, I mean, and this was, this isn't even NC-17. I mean, it's right. completely unrated. It never went before the MPA at all. It just was thrown into theaters. And in a lot of ways, I, I think we're all around the same age. And we remember, you know, going to the schoolyard or the playground and hanging out with our friends. And we would always talk about these disreputable horror mm -hmm. movies, you know, these 
savage things that did you see the movie where they did this and you know in a lot of ways it's like a real weird return to that and that's only because like that's the movie we wanted to see you know because we haven't seen anything like that in a long time and I mean, as for the puking and the fainting, I, I wish we were smart enough to have thought of that marketing-wise, you know? <laughs> okay, all right. But all right. Um, You we, can tell us the truth. It's, it's over now. Oh, you know? I, I would tell you the truth, 100%. We had right. no idea that shit was going to happen. And it, we found out the same way everyone else did on Twitter when people were posting pictures because we didn't have a marketing budget. We still don't have a marketing budget. Our marketing budget was zero. <laughs> What were people puking at? Was it the whole thing with the the possum? Right, there's that's, there was, that's the part that, that almost got me. That was one of them. Uh, surprisingly <laughs> enough, there was this other podcast, and they had gone. They were going to go see Ticket to Paradise, and when they got to the theater, <laughs> they realized Terrifier was playing there. So they changed their mind in hopes that somebody would puke or get sick in their theater because they wanted to see if it was a marketing ploy or not. And right. sure as hell, two people got sick in their theater. And these two podcasters went into like full documentarian mode. It was hilarious. They're like, you know, one of them's trying to take pictures of the vomit and the other one's interviewing the people around everyone who vomited. And I'm like, dude, why didn't anybody leave? Apparently this dude threw up in like the center of a row. And the only one who left was the dude who threw up. You know, <laughs> so I guess that's a testament to, you know, the quality of the movie, I hope anyway. Right. It's like that scene in Boogie Nights where, you know, after you spurt your load, he still wants you to stay in the seat because he wants right. to see how the story <laughs> ends up. It's Burt Reynolds with puke. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I heard that there are people puking in uh, Ticket to Paradise, too. So I mean, For vastly different reasons. That's happening. <laughs> how did you get into producing movies? Oh, man. That's a, I've been at this. I've been in this business one way or the other for like 27 years now. And uh, I originally had started doing fanzines and, and stuff like that. And then eventually, you know, my, the girl I was with at the time, she was, uh, she knows I'm four years old and she knows mm -hmm. that little things make me happy. So on eBay, she bought me this roaring Jurassic Park cage, which was little more than a cardboard box. You press a fucking button and it goes rawr, but I'll press that button right. all night, you know? <laughs> Yeah. And it uh, turns out the dude who was selling it lived down the block from me, so it didn't make a sense for him to put it in the mail. So he walked it over, and it turned out it was Tony Timpone from Fangoria Magazine. Wow. And I was like, holy shit, you know? And uh, he and I became fast friends. He realized pretty quickly that I knew my shit. You know, uh -huh. that's the funny thing. I mean, you could ask me what nine times eight is. I'm counting on my hands and my fingers and my toes. You ask me where Friday the 13th Part 2 is, I'll tell you kent connecticut where it was filmed and i don't even know why i know that you know right. but it, in a very early age watching movies i mean i grew up in front of the tv i came from a dysfunctional family circus my dad was a raging alcoholic and my mom worked all day so when it came to what i had to do as a little kid i just i learned all my my moral compass from watching george romero movies right so yeah. anyway uh tony gave me my first job in the industry which was unpaid as many of our first jobs in any industry are especially the entertainment industry and eventually he introduced me to this other service called the horror channel which was supposed to be you know like the sci-fi channel but for horror movies but you know i don't even like saying their name because if you say it three times they show up just to disappoint people and <laughs> right and um you know 
Dread Central was born out of the Horror Channel. And once I decided that the Emperor had no pants there, I just took, I quit. And I was like, all right, I'm done. And then my entire crew who worked under me there followed. And then we started Dread Central. And as you know, things get crazy, you know, and Dread Central was very good because I did it for 18 years. And along the way, I got to work and meet with like all my idols. And that was the coolest fucking thing. And the coolest part about that was during my tenure there, I met two people who ended up being very special to me because they ended up being my mentors. And that's uh, George Romero and Sid Haig. And yeah. that is just the most mind-blowing thing in the world to me, man. Because when you have somebody of that stature, you know, guiding you, when you can go to somebody like that for advice, it's like Bigfoot thinking you're cool yeah. enough to know he exists, right? Yeah. Well, what so, was Dread Central? Well, Dread what, Central, what for more or less, it, it was supposed to be like the entertainment tonight of the horror channel, you know? Okay. But being that that didn't happen, it was just, it turned into like the leading indie horror website like a bloody disgusting we were like the direct right. competitors to bloody disgusting and eventually fangoria and um what was cool about dread central what i was always very proud of was uh we never had a parent company you know we um everything we did we did on our own and i worked at dread central eight years before i started taking a salary you know i was it was ridiculous i was um and that's like that shocks some people but dude it's the way it is you know i thought right. that it would be better to pay my staff since it was my baby than to take money from it so i would i would get up at like four o'clock in the morning and write stuff for the morning for dread central then i'd go work at a freaking GameStop for like several hours and then come home and put on the fucking Uncle Creepy cape again and, and do news stories and interviews and reviews all night. And we got really far and the site's still going. And God bless, you know, I left after 18 years because I didn't see eye to eye with the people who ended up acquiring it. Mm -hmm. But those same people were the ones who actually I had to convince to put out the original Terrifier. So long story short, I started producing during my tenure at Dread Central, because I was hooking up with all these people and I knew all these people and they were all giving me these great opportunities that I would have been stupid not to take. So the first thing I produced was a documentary called Never Sleep Again, The Elm Street Legacy. Okay. And that was like this fucking massive four hour long documentary about the right. Grand Elm Street franchise. And you know, I guess I have this association with really long movies for some reason. Uh -huh. um, <laughs> And then I, uh, I met certain people like Adam Green, who did the Hatchet movies, and I helped him start the Hatchet Army. And then I met these other people, and then I was like, wow, there's all these cool little indie flicks out there and short films, but nobody gets to see them. So for a while, I was curating short films and putting them out on DVD compilations. And then, you know, the bottom dropped out of the dot-com industry, as it does every few years. And Dread Central was no longer able to stand on its own because instead of how we would make money back then was studios would come to us and say, hey, let's advertise with you, blah, blah, blah. And that's how we would stay afloat. But then when social media turned around, it changed everything because now these same studios wanted to pay, you know, some kid to run an Instagram page for two weeks instead of advertising with us. So we went from making a nice chunk of change to less than, I would say, some some months less than like two grand 
which is yeah. ridiculous. And you can't operate like that, obviously, especially at that time. I had a staff of like 20 people. So Epic Pictures Group stepped in and they were like, hey, you know, we want to spin off a DVD line. Uh, we want to use the Dread Central name to do that. We feel it's a bankable brand. And I was like, all right, well, you know, it's either that or pack up and go home. Right. And I would have been fine with packing up and going home, to be honest with you. I didn't, I didn't, I don't like play well with others. You know what I mean? I'm kind of a gypsy yeah. and I know what I do. And it's not that there's, there's a fine line between ego and confidence and I'm confident in what I do, you know, but I do so without an ego, but I figured I would, I would try. So they started giving me all these movies to watch and every one of them was terrible. I mean, just fucking terrible. You know, here I am. Dread Central's my baby. I don't want to come out the gate with like right. the shittiest movie possible, right? Right. So I found the Kane Hodder documentary, which I thought was really good. So I said, okay, we're going to put that out, but we still need it. You know, uh, some form of main movie. You know, that wasn't. How a long was the Kane Hodder documentary? Uh, <laughs> you know, we had two hours and eighteen minutes. Um, okay. All right. All right. So we, Damien Leone, the director of Terrifier, he eventually emailed me because we had spoken in different circles and he's like hey you know i got this movie can you take a look at it for me and i said sure and he sent over the original terrifier and i watched it and i watched it again and then i watched it again and i said okay this is it this is the movie and at this point i was getting a lot of static from the people that had acquired um dread central because i think they more or less wanted a yes guy and uh -huh. I'm a lot of things, but I'm not a yes guy. If something's right. wrong, I'm going to say, hey, this isn't right, you know? And they were just fighting me on everything. And then I convinced them to do Terrifier. And then, like, within months, our relationship was really deteriorating even further. And they were like, we, we can't do nothing with this movie. It's not marketable. At this time, Stephen King's It was still in theaters. You know, right? Like the world already has this huge clown movie. We don't need another right. one. And can we change its name? Can we edit it? I'm like, you can't edit this movie. If you edit this movie, if you touch a frame of this movie, it's no longer Terrifier. It's one of a dozen other movies. You know what I mean? The violence in this movie was what was selling it. And mm -hmm. um, it got to the point where it got so bad that at one of our meetings, I stood up at the table and I said, listen, if you guys <laughs> are dead set about this movie being a failure, I'll tell you what, I will, if this movie does not perform exactly as I think it's gonna, I will leave, I will quit, you could have my part of the company. And that was at, you know, 18 years of my tenure doing this, you know, and right. I believed in this movie to that degree. I knew, I don't even know why I knew, but I just knew I felt this was it, you know, and listen, whatever. And I think they took that as like a good way and an easy way to get rid of me, you know, because yeah. if this movie <laughs> fails, fuck that guy. He don't know what he's talking about. No, no right. love lost. And he already said he would leave. So why not? Right. So. They distribute the movie. I don't want to say they dumped it, but they did release it rather unceremoniously. And uh, no no real push. I mean, it's ludicrous. I, it's fucking dreadcentral.com. Why are there not ads for Terrifier on our website? It's stupid. And um, yeah. they uh, more or less kind of dumped it, but the one thing they did do was uh, 
they put us on Netflix, which enabled a lot of fans to eventually find us. And I remember it was like two months into its release and I was at a convention in, uh, I think it was Texas. And I see all these people walking around with Art the Clown shirts and there's fucking dolls and there's air fresheners. I'm like, what, what does Art the Clown smell like, right? And mm. um, so I called the director and I'm like, Damien, dude, do we have merch? And he just started laughing at me. He's like, no, we don't have merch. And, uh, and I'm like, well, I think we got something here. And uh, it, it just, before we knew it, there were murals of this character all over the world, you know, Berlin, New York. Oh, there were so many of them. People were getting tattoos, and we were like, wow, this is really kind of catching on. And at that point, uh, Terrifier for Epic Pictures Group ended up being their best seller. Not just their best under the Dread Central label, but their best seller. And then I quit anyway, because fuck them, right? I mean, listen, right. you know, no thank you, no you knew what you were talking about, nothing. So yeah. I don't, I'm, a, I'm like a cat, dude. You start fucking with me, I'm out the door. <laughs> you know? Right, right, right. I, I love walking off of ledges. And after 18 years, I walked off another ledge. And it cost me a lot. You know, being Steve Uncle Creepy Barton was all I was good at. You know, it's either that or retail. And, uh, you know, Damien called me and said, you know, we're getting ready to do the second movie. And we're going to crowdfund it. And I said, well, dude, you know, I have to be in. Not because I lost whatever I had, but at this point, I just fucking believed in this. You know, and now at this point, it was in my DNA. So we put up our crowdfunding campaign, and within three hours, we smashed our goal and raised $250,000. Wow. And I was like, well, so holy shit, we're making a movie. Right. <laughs> Listen, you know... My story ain't unique. Everybody comes from a real fucked up place sometimes, you know? And I've been at that fucked up place a lot. But for me, it's always, I've learned to embrace it. Like George specifically taught me to not be afraid of those bad times. And and it's so true. It's like, cause when you're, he's like, Steve, dude, being happy is so easy. You got nothing to worry about, man. Everything is good. You're laughing. He goes, when times are hard, that's when you're living. And he was mm. so right. So when I ended up countless times on the balls of my ass, you know, you know, the only thing you can do at that point is you sit up, you look at the walls around you and you say to yourself, how the fuck do I crawl out of this hole? And it's those moments that are exciting because it's the decisions you make during them that are going to dictate who you become and it's going to shape your character. So me losing essentially everything, again, by my own choice, right. it, it, it enabled me to focus in a different direction. And that different direction turned out to be producing and, and, and writing. And I, I sold a script to Paramount and I became a WGA writer. And... Um, it, it, it was a really life is weird man you know i i've spent the majority of my life just throwing shit at a wall to see if it'd stick yeah. and you know i've come close to sticking the and don't get me wrong dude i've done things that i am so proud of you know I, i've done things that people would kill to do you know and i realized that but when it came to my own personal success you know 
I couldn't launch my career. I've been credited with launching dozens of careers. You know, big Marvel directors worked with me first when I was at Dread Central, and I would help them along their way, teach them what to do, and and fucking get their movies out there, and say this is how you present this, and blah blah blah. But I right. couldn't do that for me, right. and it was tough. And when <laughs> you know this happened, and all of a sudden. Things started to change, and I, I realized after that first weekend when we made a million two, I realized that holy shit, I think I stuck the landing. You know, yeah. I've come so close so many times and always fell short. I've climbed every fucking mountain and fell off the edge once I got to the top. You know, and to just to just finally stick that landing. And it just, it, it's exploded now. It, it's in its own, it's in the zeitgeist now. There's like nothing we can do. And this movie was bringing people like, like an unimaginable amount of joy for some reason. And I called Damien. I said, dude, did we do this right? Yeah, we made a horror movie, right? I mean, did we fuck right. up? <laughs> <You know? laughs> and, um... It was. It's been the most humbling experience of my life. But I ain't gonna lie to you, man. I, throughout this whole journey, I've cried like 19 times, you know, and, and just yeah. broken down just because after all this time, I'm I'm 50 now, so I have all this emotion like bottled up inside of me. And, and the first time I actually got to see my name on a poster, and see my name in the credits as an executive producer, it just brought me to tears. I'm like, holy yeah. shit, I fucking did something. Huh. Good. You know, and it was just a really cool feeling, man. And oh, great. We didn't expect this to happen. None of us did. Yeah. None of us saw any of this coming. And we didn't plan for it. We got caught with our asses out in the air, to be honest with you, you know. And yeah. we're all just kind of holding on at this point and, and seeing how do we fucking navigate this? Because it's a different right. life now, you know. Well, you know, I, I want to hear more about your relationship with George Romero, but... Were you able to learn some lessons from him? I know, you know, when he was hit overnight with the success, or not overnight, but, you know, with Night of the Living Dead and all of the legal issues that 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 happened as a result of, of that film, you know, becoming the cult smash that, it, that mm -hmm. it was and is, did you, were you able to learn any lessons from that? Have you, have 100%. you guys been able to protect yourself and yes. we'll see some... Some, yes. some money from this? Yeah, I mean, the, the cold reality of it is even though we made, I think, over $10 million at the box office now, we're not going to see hardly any of that. You know, our deal was more structured to be advantageous for home video and licensing, you know, because who knew that this was going to happen, you know? Right. But it's also kind of cool because now if we make a third one, we could say, well, now um, you see what happened with the last one. Um, so it, it puts us in a, in a much better place, but we're not really seeing any of them. Everyone thinks we're rich now. We're not fucking rich, you know? Mm -hmm. And uh, it's just, this Hollywood and the entertainment industry comes with a boatload of misconceptions, you know? And yeah. it, it's, it's fucking nuts. But George taught me so many things. Um, it, it's very funny. Uh, a lot of people have their defining moment when they're like you know 40 or some shit i had mine at three years old and i remember it like yesterday uh 
when my parents went to bed, you know, I'd, I'd hear them start snoring. And that was my cue to get up and go into the living room because that's when all the good shit was on TV, right? And at that time in the 70s, we had this giant black and white console TV, you know, the kind of TV that when it breaks, fuck it now, it's furniture, just put another TV on top of it, right? Right, yeah. So at like two in the morning, you know, I heard them snoring and I ran into the living room and I turned on the TV and all of a sudden there's this fucking newscast about the dead coming back to life and yeah. we need to get to rescue stations. And I was horrified, you know, so I ran into my parents' bedroom and I turned on the light and I'm like, the dead are coming. And I remember saying this <laughs> as clear as day. And my mom was like, oh, you're having a nightmare. And I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm not having a fucking nightmare. I didn't say fucking nightmare. I'm not having a nightmare. And I grabbed her by the arm and I pulled her out of bed and I pulled my dad with her. And he was super pissed. And I brought him into the living room and I pointed at the TV. And of course, what was on was that night of the living dead scene with the newscast. And I didn't know right. that. So my dad whipped my ass. You know, <laughs> first time I ever felt pain on my lily white virgin ass uh <laughs> and I, I was laying in bed that night and i realized that i was absolutely terrified and 100 percent safe at the same time and i just thought that was the coolest thing you know so it was that rush i've been chasing my whole life and you know fast forward 20 30 almost 30 years later to be able to share that with george you know and that story I guess it really ingratiated myself to him. And he was yeah. like, ah, man, sorry, I got your ass kicked, man. You know, George was like a big right. hippie. That's the way he spoke. Yeah. And the first time I saw him, the first time I ever got to meet him was at a horror find in Maryland. And I was interviewing him for Dread Central for the first time. And I was, fuck. I what was he I, doing at the time? What movie was it for? Do you remember? Uh, he was just there making an appearance. This was pre-Land of the Dead. Okay. And, um... I was so nervous, dude. I don't think I've ever been more nervous in my life. And his manager, who's a really good friend of mine, a guy named Chris Rowe, you know, he trusted me because I, I had done a lot of interviews with his clients. And so he knew that I could handle myself and I'm professional. Even though I was never really a writer, I kind of just taught myself all this fucking weirdness. And, um, you know, he handed me George's hotel room key. And I'm like, holy shit. Right, and I'm on my fucking phone. I'm called, dude. You'd never believe what I have in my hand. And I, I go in his his hotel room, and I'm not gonna lie, dude. I was, I sat in every chair. You know, he wasn't there yet, yeah. so I was just walking around. I was putting my ass wherever I thought his could have been. I sat next to his ashtray. I went into his bedroom and I hugged his pillow. As disturbing as that may sound, right? Uh -huh. I went to the I went to the bathroom and I did the you know no holds barred like hero pee where you're not holding it, you're just letting it go, but you you know you got good aim, so you're not getting it on the fucking on the rim. And just I had to do it because how, when was I ever going to get this opportunity again? And uh, he walked in. Thankfully, I was while done with the while yeah. I was yeah, done yeah. with I was done with the hero pee. And uh, I was sitting in the chair, and he walked in, and here's this fucking six foot, like seven giant, right? And I'm like five He's seven, a big guy, right? right? I'm like I'm vertically fucking challenged, okay? And here's this dude, <laughs> my idol of everyone I could ever have hoped to have met in my life, walks in and he's enormous in comparison to me. <laughs> and I just said, "Holy shit. You're you." And he said, "Hey man, I'm George. Let's fucking bullshit." And that was it. Yeah. You know? And I told him all the stories and he 
you know, he, he, I got, George was this, he didn't realize what a legend he was and what a gift he was to everybody who knew him. Cause he literally was the nicest guy you could ever hope to meet. I, so good to his fans. And he taught me one, how to treat people two how to stand up for myself. And I think the most valuable lesson he ever gave me, uh, <laughs> he said to me one day, he's, you Steve, you got to make me a promise. And I'm like, of course, George, what? He goes, whatever you do, if you start something, you fucking finish it. You see it through. You don't let it hang. And I promised him that. And I, to this day, I always, uh, I will always live by that. You know? Yeah. Yeah, that's that kind of thing. You you can see like that in his work. And I, I just tried to be a sponge and absorb all of that. And we just we just kept getting closer. And I go, George, you know, you do realize you're you're my mentor, right? He's like, ah, fuck you, blah blah blah. And I'm like, George, no, seriously. He goes, of course I'm your mentor. You're fucking broke. And I'm like, well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that makes perfect sense if you think about it. Yeah. How'd you meet Sid Haig? Oh, God. At another convention, um, I was always a fan of Sid's work. And, mm-hmm. you know, I one of the things about me is I understand that people are people, man. You know, everybody wants to be just treated like another person, you know? So when I was at one of the conventions for either Dread Central or for whatever reason, um, Sid Haig was there. And... I, he was at his table and I walked up to him and I said, Sid, you don't know me, but I've been watching you my whole life and you're the baddest motherfucker on the planet. <laughs> and he just started laughing. And he's like, what's your name? And I'm like, Steve. And he goes, well, why don't you sit down and we'll talk a little bit. And I'm like, okay. You know, I mean, that was Sid. He just, he would, God, I mean, how fucking blessed could I possibly be? You know, even if I didn't stick the landing, you know? To have two people like that in my life who I could go to and reach out to and, and just hang out with them or, or just laugh with them and, and ultimately learn from them. So Sid and I became real close. We became like sort of a weird road family because Sid was on the on the road way more than George was. Uh-huh. And uh, Sid and I, we, we went to every hotel together. We went we, Every time we were together, we were at dinner. It was me, Sid, Bill Mosley. Uh, Joe Netter so it was like this whole weird it was like carnival you know on the fucking road with these guys because there was a stretch in the heyday conventions where I was at a different convention almost every week you know and uh, a different state almost every week and we just all loved each other you know and we looked out for each other and just amazing times I'm so lucky and blessed to have had you know and yeah. So sit- are you on the other side now, but with taking Terrifier to con- conventions? Uh, yeah, which is really odd. There, there's, I, yeah. I mean, and again, you know this, man. You know, there's nothing more humbling than when a complete stranger is like, hey, man, you, I really yeah. dig what you do. They want to take a picture with you or they want you to sign something. It, it, it just, it, it makes me say to myself, how did I get here? You know, like, what the fuck is going on? Like, I, there's a weird part of me, I swear to God, that I'm so used to everything going wrong that I, I, I'm, mm-hmm. I feel like I'm going to wake up and this is all going to be a dream. But, you know, I, I also believe that 
you got to stay positive. And as bad as everything ever got, I always tried to stay positive and keep my focus and want to move into different places. I've never been afraid to talk to anybody or walk up to anyone. And I, I, I think one of the things Sid taught me was like, Steve, I love you, but you need to learn when to shut the fuck up and listen. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I was like, yep, I really do. <laughs> and, you know, between he and and George, it was like they were they were very much alike. And it, it was it was just so unbelievable to have that in my life. And, you know, it's funny. I was I think I told Ben uh, every, almost every night that Terrifier 2 has been in theaters. I, I'm a member of that AMC A-list thing. So every, yeah, every almost every almost every night I I just buy Sid and George tickets like in the front row where I know <laughs> nobody's going to take those seats, I you know. I think I was sitting next to Sid today. <laughs> I never showed up. I was like, "Oh, I I got to sit over here. I can't sit in the middle." That was right. Sid's seat. Thanks a lot. <laughs> Probably was. Yeah. You know, but um yeah, dude, it's it's so it's fucking nuts, you know? And this was all, I mean, my whole life, there were only two things that saved me, and that was music and movies, you know? Music is very personal to me. You know, your band specifically got me through a lot, and thank you for oh, that. Thank and, you. Uh, dude, fucking love it. You know, I, I have every single thing, fucking rarities, fucking Gabe with his newsletter makes me buy fucking everything. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, um... Well, yeah, Gabe's man. responsible for all the Terrifier merchandise too. I don't yeah. know. That. <laughs> I, I might be calling Gabe. I, I might be calling Gabe for advice because now I'm in charge of all the Terrifier merchandise. By the way, Steve. Yes. Uh, here's a pitch for your next movie, the mm. Sid Haig story, starring Gabe Rodriguez. Can't you see that? I do. Oh. I do see it. We got to maybe maybe stick out his ears a little bit more. <laughs> Sid's were an extreme. He, that man had huge ears. <laughs> Yeah. But he also he was also able to whittle a fucking a, a, a pipe out of a carrot too. So he had many talents, Sid. Wait, what is a whittle? Whittle. whittle. I thought you were saying wiggle when a pipe out of we a had carrot. A, I was like, what does we, that mean? We had a sack of fucking pot and no paper and no pipes. Uh-huh. And Sid just took out his little fucking pocket knife, went into the refrigerator, pulled out a carrot, and, and just turned it into a pipe. And I went, that makes you sense. Are, I'm like, you are a fucking god. Yeah. <laughs> you know, how do you do that? You just, there was no stopping Sid from partying, God bless him. So is uh, Night of the Living Dead your favorite George Romero, or did you? Yeah. Still, I mean, to this day, that's the one. To this day, I, I, you know, it was the first movie I think I saw, and it, I think it's the first movie in history where, um, you know, getting released at the time when it did, you know, horror movies was still very much in the foggy castles and the monsters mm-hmm. had scales and fucking claws and whatever else. And here's this little movie where the monster is us, you know, yeah. and can you do what needs to be done to save yourself? He was so socially con- conscious and he put that into his movies, but he didn't do it in a heavy handed way. It's like his message was there, but he wasn't like shoving it down your throat. You know, sometimes the a little bit, you know, the consumerism mm-hmm. in Dawn of the Dead is very prevalent, you know, but um, right. ultimately he would make his movies and let the fans decide, you know, what they're about. And he would love to sit there and 
theorize with them. And anytime George was at a show, and the same thing with Sid, they would have these fucking enormous lines out the door for like, I don't know, hours. And George and Sid would stay until every single person got an autograph and right. take their time with every single person in line. And you know what? I, I love that about them. And, you know, George specifically said, Steve, you never know when you're going to see these people again. You know, they may mm. only get a chance to see you once and make them happy if you can. Mm. And that's why he would do that. He would also live on a steady diet of peanut M&Ms and, and scotch during the conventions. <laughs> but, good um, stuff. Yeah, yeah it's, that was his thing, man. I used to, when he was signing, I used to... He used to have a little flask behind the table. I would keep it full for him. And every, like, right. three hours, I would go by and toss him another bag of m and <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I got to say, I'm your least uh, kind of person to watch your movies because I hate, I hate horror movies. I You're not my target audience, man. No, 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 no. No, you don't know how many times I open the back of the bus, the back room on the bus, and watch Scott watching exorcist or something crazy i'm like nope not, can't go back now so uh, i don't have a whole lot to add to the movie thing except the movies that you guys make scare the hell out of me i, I can't watch the stuff i can't do it but i'm fascinated by your story so it, it's good to hear but so you haven't watched terrifier 2 is that what you're saying no i mean I, first of all my wife hates clowns mm. and i'm afraid of scary movies so how, how am i gonna ever watch this you know <laughs> you're you're I, definitely I might, not gonna. <laughs> I might put, try and put it on here and there, but to sit, it, it's gonna scare me to death. It's gonna give me nightmares. <laughs> well, I, I I really hope that there are people on the academy that feel the same way because uh, we submitted for a fucking Oscar. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> which is hilarious. You know, it's funny too because uh, I was talking to uh, Brad Miska, who is at Bloody Disgusting, who you know he helped distribute the movie. And we were talking, and he's like, dude, you know, believe it or not, we actually qualify to submit for an Oscar. I'm like, no, we don't. And he's like, no, we do. We opened on X amount of theaters. We've been in the theater in the top 10 for four weeks. Oh. Uh, yeah. And I was like, well, how much is it? He goes, oh, it's free to submit. I'm like, fucking submit us. What are you yeah. doing? <laughs> right? You never know. It worked for Titanic. Titanic won a bunch of awards. Well, scrappy indie. It's possible that scrappy indie film. That scrappy little indie film, James Cameron, baby. Who, who, but, the indiest director of them all. I mean, the the effects are pretty goddamn good. They, you might get a. They, if you know, I could see them. I, I mean, I can't really see them, but if they're well, gonna you know, it's open one of the category. <laughs> that would, that would you know what something. the greatest part about it, Ben? And I agree with you. The effects work are really good, and they haven't. There hasn't been like practical effects work in this in theaters and in movies in general. In quite some is it time. all practical? Is there any practical right? or anything? One hundred percent. The, the only CG in the movie is like slight augmentation. If we had to paint out a blood tube from the from one of the effects, but mm -hmm. that's it. The bulk of every effect is practical. And uh, what's even funnier about that is even if we got by some miracle a nod and said, okay, it's, it's nominated for effects, they can't even put together a reel to show people, you know? Right. <laughs> it's just so, it just, it, none of this makes any sense. And as long as it doesn't make sense and it's making people happy, we're just going to ride the bus, man. Yeah. Have you sat, have you sat in screenings? Yeah. And you yeah, know what's what? that like? 
oh god the first one was a nightmare because like not not a, not a nightmare like being in the screening just a nightmare leading up to the screening you know what i mean uh-huh. but once it started man I, i've seen it like four times with the crowd I, we all of us the director the stars all of us we all go to like little shows and not tell anybody just so right. we could sit there and, and experience it and it was yeah. so cool because people are like they're laughing and they're cursing and they're screaming and groaning and i guess somewhere someone's puking and passing out <laughs> i haven't seen it but mm-hmm. um it, it's just so interactive you know where people are just having a good time and i think after the shitty years we've had because we've had some really rough times over the last decade or so this huge pile of shit we've all been forced to endure and try to soldier our way through i think a little movie like this that really doesn't have too many fucks to give i think it's allowing people to just blow off some steam and just have a good time you know and it's it's great man it's been the, the most fortuitous and chaotic thing i've ever experienced and it's probably a once in a lifetime thing because if we make terrifier 3 who knows if anyone's going to show up i mean i think they will i think dick it seems like a pretty safe bet but you never know there's no you know 100 certainty in this industry at all and um so right now we're treating it as a once in a lifetime thing uh some people have inquired about three and our attitude is basically, you know, if we get the money, whoever gives it to us, just leave us alone for a year. <laughs> you know, let us do what we do. Because you know what? I think, I, I think that, I mean, one of the adv- one of the advantages of having more money or a bigger budget is you get to hire a bigger crew. But I think that would actually hurt this project. I, I mm, think that because yeah. it's only nine of us that made this movie, you know. Mm. So I, I think that. I think that it has to be intimate or we sacrifice what it is, you know? And that's the way we're going to do the next one if we do a next one. It's going to be as intimate as it was, uh, the bigger budget. Maybe if we can get Damien some help to prep the effects, because Damien Leone, the director, he directs, he wrote it, he edited, he did all the effects. I mean, this guy killed himself for three years. So if we can get him a little bit of help, that'd be great, you know? Yeah. And uh, other than that, man, again, it's just nine nine of us who just made the movie we wanted to see. And everybody wore every conceivable hat. And everybody brought their A-game, no matter what was going on. And we loved each other. And a lot of fun and a lot of respect for each other. We trust each other. And uh, I, I think that's, it's just, it's been very much... It never felt like work, you know? The the nights were long, but it never... Dude, we're making fucking fake bodies. How much could we complain, you know? Right. I mean, that one kill with Allie in the bedroom, that poor actress, Casey Hartnett, man, she was covered in so much blood that she actually stuck to the floor. And you can see how <laughs> sticky it is. You can yeah. just... And it looks brown and everything, and you're just like... Oh, that poor girl. Damien has, Damien said that each film has one actor who had every right to complain, but didn't. Yeah. And he said he's going to make an award for each of them. You know, (laughs) the the every right to complain award. And uh, Casey Hartnett, man, she had every fucking right to complain. And that was definitely the, 
that was definitely the good one that was the one where it was just like how much more are you going to put this person through mm-hmm. and you know some people are like oh how could they still be breathing i'm like well that's the point it's fantasy that's yeah you that's, know that's the idea yeah yeah i mean we we have a glowing fucking sword in our movie i mean come on how you, we're not right. taking ourselves seriously you know <laughs> yeah. so it's been interesting man yeah one of the one of the things that stands out to me about both the terrifier movies is the quality of the performances and I was wondering what you attribute that to. Does Damien take more time with casting than than usually happens in these films, or is he just really good working with the actors? Or he's, what's the story? He's he again. He's very specific. So when an actor comes in an audition, like like Kaylee Hyman, who played Brooke in this one, um, she it's all it's it's part Damien and part the actor. Uh, what got mm-hmm. Kaylee Hyman immediately noticed is she came in and her audition was like the high school at lunchtime monologue. You know what I mean? Where they're talking about the woman who was, you know, got killed on TV, blah, blah, blah. And yeah. Kaylee came in and she did it while eating a cookie. You know what I mean? And that immediately mm-hmm. caught our attention. Like, oh, wow, that's it. You know what I mean? So it, there's little things like an actor could do to make themselves stand out but a lot of it is Damien and Damien is one of those people like if he sees what he wants he's not taking any more auditions he's right. like how, how much more can how much more of what I want could anyone else possibly bring so even with David Howard Thornton who plays Art the Clown you know Dave, Damien and he seeing those two together they have like their own language you know uh, when he's directing and a lot of it is Damien will tell Dave what he wants and then he'll go, okay, now play. And then David will just do all these fucking, like the whole scene in the magic shop when I'm trying on the different eyeglasses. That's all yeah. improvised, you know? Right. And uh, it, it's it's great, but yeah, I think it's it's Damien, man. I, the dude is a genius and I, I don't say that lightly. I, I do believe that dude has super talent for his age. He's in like his early 30s. And he does fucking everything himself. And he, he just knows what he wants. And when he sees an actor that, that is bringing it, and that's what he wants. It resonates with him immediately. And then they work together. And they're su- and again, he's super collaborative. He always wants to know what the actor wants, what the actor is thinking. And he'll try anything, you know? And it's, it's, it's so much fun to be on the set and to see all this crazy shit come to life. You know, and again, we just never thought anybody would dig it, but like the fans of the original. No, I mean, I, you know, like I was saying, like the, the the thing about the clown is it for me, it does have a sort of like classic murderous character trait to it, like the '80s stuff. I mean, mm-hmm. you, you know, you're scrolling through Netflix, and that clown comes up, and you're like, "Well, <laughs> what is this? We gotta it's watch this." Yeah, well, a, lot, totally. a lot of people think it's a, it's an overnight success, but it's really not. Damien came up with Art the Clown in in 2006, and mm. he'd done a couple of short films. One's called The Ninth, Ninth Circle, which Art the Clown was in. Uh, it was a completely different actor playing him. And when he, mm. when he showed the short to people, when it had its little festival run, people were like, dude, we want more of the clown. So yeah. he went on at this friend. It was a, at this point. It was his friend Mike Gianelli who was uh, playing Art the Clown, and he was great. But it's David brought it to a whole different dimension. But 
you know, once Ninth Circle was out, Damien said, okay, well, the people want the clown. I'm, I'm going to, I got more for the clown. So he made a, a short film called Terrifier. And that acted as sort of a proof of concept for the right. original Terrifier. And you can see Mike Gianelli as Art the Clown in a in an anthology that's filled with all of Damien's short films called um, All Hallows' Eve. So, Steve, we ask our guests on this show to pick out of two bands who, who you prefer, and, and it's The Replacements or Iron Maiden? Oh, God, Iron Maiden. Yeah, of course. There's no question, <laughs> no hesitation there. No, zero. <laughs> <laughs> Look at how bummed out Ben is. It's always funny because, you know, one of these two always loses, and it's fun to see the reaction. I'm sorry, Ben. We, are you a replacements oh, no, guy? No, no. <laughs> it's totally fine. I get it. it we got to keep score and see who's in the lead. But I, I thought oh you'd be God. on my side. Now you want to keep score. <laughs> if you look, I, I said that one of our guests looked like a person before, and it went over pretty bad. But Steve. Look up. Uh, uh oh, wait. Look up. Maybe, maybe a picture. don't do this. No, this is for real. Look up a picture of Paul Diano. Okay. In his older years. Okay. You know, you know who I'm talking about? The I, original singer of Iron Maiden? Yes. I know who you're what talking about. I will doing? look it up. Listen. Dude, That's I'm a bald game. guy with a goatee. There's 18 of me outside right now. <laughs> <laughs> Last right. time Gabe tried to it say worked. who somebody looked like on this <laughs> show, it did not go too well. <laughs> no. If you look up Paul Diano in 2022, sure he's in a I wheelchair. Will do it, sir. Sure he's in a wheelchair, but he, he. Why is Paul in a wheelchair? He, he's not of great health right now. He's he's an old guy. Hard living. I'm thinking. Really? So. Yeah, I guess. Hey man, so. Phil Collins is in a wheelchair these days. So is he? It happens to the best of us. Oh yeah. Wow. He He's did his final too. tour with he did his final tour with Genesis earlier this year in a wheelchair all night on stage. Because I put him in that fucking wheel, wheelchair. <laughs> Get Stay him, off Scott. the road, Phil. I'm tired of it. You know what he did. Illegal alien. <laughs> well, thanks for doing this. This was great. And it, it's My pleasure. great to I, I'm very happy for you. And I, I think uh, you know. But I, I got to tell you, this is, and I, I told Ben, this was, you know, I've had a lot of full circle moments in my life, and this is definitely one of them. Because I, I think I, I've seen you guys live probably 32 times, something like that. And yeah. each time I've had the fucking time of my life at your shows. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And we'll see you next time. You got it, man. I'm your Huckleberry. Yeah, right. Anytime you need me. All right, man. <laughs> right on. A candy-colored clown they call a Sandman Tiptoes to my room every night Just to sprinkle stardust and to whisper Go to sleep, everything is all right I close my eyes
If I try.